Carlton Coffrin started life doing lighting, des lighting design for theatre. He decided he didn't have enough control over light or design <laughs> and got a PhD from Brown University in artificial intelligence. <laughs> He's excited to move to Australia for his first job, working at National Information Communication Technology Australia. And his research focus is applying artificial intelligence to problems in disaster management, humanitarian logistics and power systems. Carlton. Thank you very much. This story begins in the year 1938. Now just to remind you a little bit of what 1938 was like, there was no TV, no Velcro, no microwave, no Tupperware. Why did you need Tupperware before microwaves? I don't know. Um, no telephone calls from New York City to London because the line hadn't been laid yet. No jet planes going across the Atlantic. If you were to go to the cinema, some of the blockbusters you might see would be Citizen Kane, Alfred Hitchcock, or Disney's Pinocchio, Fantasia, and Dumbo. On the stage, you might see Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman. Uh, at the same time, though, a young man was on a boat, halfway between the United States and the UK, and his name was Alan Turing. Uh, it turns out he's on his way to Cambridge after just finishing a PhD at Princeton University. So who was Alan Turing? Well, if I had to cast an actor in a movie about Alan Turing today, I would probably pick Jim Carrey, just because he has the right look. Now, we're not talking about the Jim Carrey from Ace Ventura. We're talking about the serious one, you know, Eternal Sunshine. And uh, <laughs> uh, in all of Turing's photographs, he always has a very serious part, like on the very side of his head, all the way over the top. And the one word used to describe him was eccentric. During his PhD, he built a computer from scratch using very rudimentary technology. Uh, at his first job, he was known for uh, chaining his mug to the radiator so no one could steal it. <laughs> and later in life, uh, during the war, he was known for running 64 kilometers uh, to London when he had important business meetings. He's just like running that much. So if the name Turing sounds familiar to you, you're probably not crazy. He has a number of important things named after him, including the Turing Award, which is the highest honor you can get in computer science, the Turing Test, which is a test to try to figure out whether a computer has artificial intelligence or not. But probably the most fundamental contribution he made that carries his name is the Turing machine. So what is a Turing machine? Actually, the details aren't that interesting. So I'm gonna answer a different question. <laughs> Why did we invent the Turing machine? Why is the Turing machine? So at this point in time, computers really weren't around yet, but they were on the horizon. People knew they were kind of coming and that they were gonna be able to do interesting things. So Turing and his PhD advisor, Alonzo Church, uh, were asking the questions, what can computers do? Do they have any limita limitations on what they can compute? Um, and in another word, what is the mathematics of computation? Now, just to take a little side note, in math, you write things like x equals y squared or z equals the square root of three. You can think of these kind of like facts. They're just statements about the way things are. And what Turing and Church noticed is that computers have a totally new thing. They have a memory. And so 
uh, their core idea was we have to integrate this memory with mathematics. And so they created the Turing machine to combine math and memory. And then they could ask a much simpler question, not what computers can do, but what can the Turing machine do? Essentially, if you're trying to wrap it up, a Turing machine uh, executes instructions on its memory. These executions are called algorithms. And to make that a little bit more concrete, let me use an analogy. An algorithm is like a recipe. So you have instructions like add flour, add eggs, beat them together, cook it for 10 minutes at 400 degrees Fahrenheit, and then let it cool down. Uh, so they were able to show that computers do similar things as recipes. So the creation of the Turing machine birthed the formal study of computer science and algorithms. Uh, and it answered many interesting questions about computation, such as the halting problem, which I won't have time to tell you about today. <laughs> uh, but it bred new, interesting questions that no one knows the answer to, and that is what I'm going to tell you about today. Um, I'm going to tell you about one of the most interesting questions uh, that was brought to light by Turing machines. There's two kinds of Turing machines, one that I'll call the serial Turing machine and one that I'll call the exponential Turing machine. The serial Turing machine, keeping with the recipe analogy, as if I was sitting in the kitchen and just doing all the tasks one after another. So I put in the flour, I put in the eggs, I beat them together, I put them in the oven. In the exponential Turing machine, any time I need to do a task, I can just copy myself and do two tasks. If I need to do four tasks, I can just copy myself again and do four tasks. And you can have eight of me, 16 of me, 32 of me, as many as you want. You can have a huge number of people. And what's really interesting is that they asked this very simple question. Can the, recipe, can the recipe be completed significantly faster with the exponential Turing machine rather than the serial Turing machine? It seems really obvious, right? If you have 32 more of me, you should be able to do it a lot, lot faster. But actually, in this mathematical formalism, no one knows if that's true. And this is the, the core idea behind the famous P versus NP problem, if you've heard of that totally enabled by Turing machines. This question is actually so important that in 2000, the Clay Mathematic Institute included this question as one of seven Millennium Prize problems. So if you can solve it, you can win a million dollars. So tonight, I've told you how you can win a million dollars, along with fame, fortune, and all the other perks of being a legend. So I hope <laughs> at this time, I've given you a glimpse of why Turing is a hero of computer science. But I would like to conclude by telling you why I think he should be a hero for all of us. Shortly after Turing returned to the UK on that boat I mentioned earlier, World War II started. And Turing took his role in the war as a code breaker. Uh, the, at the time, state of cryptography had to do with the Enigma machine, which was something like a very fancy typewriter which you'd set with a code, and you'd type a message onto it. It'd come out with weird letters. You'd pass it off, usually by Morse code, and then they'd decode it at the other end. Uh, what Turing was able to use, do is use the theory of algorithms and Turing machines to invent Bombi, which was a mechanical machine with spinning uh, gaskets, which would break these codes. And it was hailed as a huge success to the United Kingdom's war effort and uh, made a big impact on the Atlantic campaign. So I think he's a, he's a significant war hero as well. Unfortunately, this story I'm telling you does not have a happy ending. Turing passed away before his time in 1954 at the age of 41. 
The events leading to his death began in 1952, when Turing was discovered having a committed relationship with another man. Yes, Turing was a homosexual, and yes, it was illegal in the UK to be a homosexual at that time. Later that year, he was convicted of committing homosexual acts and was given a sentence of one of two punishments, either imprisonment or chemical castration. He took the choice of chemical castration and the hormones he was forced to take led to a deep depression and eventually committed suicide in 1954. We can only imagine what the insights Turing might have had in his later life, but nonetheless, he will always be known as the father of computer science. Thank you very much.